Today, we welcome author, consultant, and speaker, Elizabeth Hamlet, to the podcast. Elizabeth digs into the college experiences of learners with learning disabilities and ADHD. We talk about accommodations for college learners and the biggest misconceptions about accommodations, what learners can do to prepare for college and high school, pro tip, working with an educational therapist would help how you go about getting accommodations, what the laws are, what are typical accommodations, and how asking for accommodations doesn't always lead to accommodations. If you are interested in hearing our extended conversation, we dig further in with Elizabeth over on Patreon. And to join us on Patreon, it is a $5 a month donation that allows you access to all our past Patreons. This is where we post exclusive content and extended interviews that won't ever be offered anywhere else. And during our conversation with Elizabeth on Patreon, we talk about how the field of college accommodations has shifted in her experience. She's been doing this for 20 years. Whether or not you should disclose diagnoses in the college application process, and if there are specific schools that are better for learners with diverse learning needs or ADHD. And to join us on Patreon, it's www.patreon.com slash Learn Smarter Podcast. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 131 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're excited to have Elizabeth Hamlet joining us. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, thanks for having me. Yay. So happy to have you here because this is a topic that there aren't a lot of people talking about as we were talking about this before we hit hit record, record, right? It's important. So Elizabeth has to do with all the things about college and accommodations. So will you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Elizabeth Hamlet, and two days a week, I work in a college's disability services office one-on-one with students. I work with them on time management, reading and writing strategies, organization, anything they want to work on. As part of that job, I also review requests for accommodation that come through to our office and look at the paperwork and make my recommendations, which then go up to a director for final approval. And when I'm not doing that, I am busy writing and presenting on preparing students with disabilities for successful college transition. Yeah, successful college transition. This is a big thing because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening that have had their children go to college and it didn't work out. There's such high hopes and the foundation is not there and set in place, which is exactly what you do. So telling us a little bit about what you think the biggest misconception is about accommodations for learners. Wow. (laughs) Am I allowed to pick more than one? (laughs) Yes, Um, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Because you're going to set the record straight for us, for our audience right now. So please. Oh boy, that's some pressure. So I mean, (laughs) and I always want to make these little caveats when I talk, because I do think Understandably, parents of students with disabilities have their concerns. You know, they've spent years often, you know, first they notice there's a problem and then we identify it hopefully and give the student the right strategies to be successful. So they understandably approach the next step with some trepidation and some fear. 
But I think it's also important to recognize that plenty of neurotypical students go off to college and don't make this really smooth transition where they just glide in and everything's great and, you know, no sweat. So true. And I say that not to be dismissive of parents' concerns, but to try to sort of normalize that anxiety a little bit Mm. and, you know, remind everybody that it is a different step. There's a commonly used phrase, it's not grade 13. So Mm -hmm. college is meant to be different. It's meant to be more challenging and it is. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you have a student who has academic challenges, sending them to an academic environment where the demands are increased and the support is reduced is a cause for some reasonable worry. So to circle back to your question, the misconceptions to me fall on both ends of this spectrum of thinking about college. So there are people who believe that there are no accommodations after high school for students with learning disabilities and ADHD. They think, oh, well, obviously they have to do things for students with physical or sensory disabilities, but it's college and they don't have to do that. And that's very concerning because there are accommodations at all colleges. And so We shouldn't be giving people bad information about that. On the other end of the spectrum are the people who believe that as long as a student had something in high school, the colleges have to provide it. And that is also not true. Not to scare people, it doesn't mean that they won't, but there's a whole bunch of considerations that go into the determination as to whether or not a student will receive the accommodations that they request coming in the door. Hmm. Okay. What would be a scenario where a student had an IEP in high school and they get to college and the college might say, no, you don't get any accommodations? There are a couple of different places where this denial could happen. And so what you've just described, Stephanie, is a student who has an IEP in high school, goes to college. And this is not going to happen to most students, to be honest. And I don't have exact data that I've seen anywhere, but you know, I think it's a pretty good chance most students will at least be found eligible. They might not be found eligible by the college. And that can happen because even though they have a full report, the college looks at the report and doesn't believe that it provides evidence of a substantial limitation to their functioning. And I'm paraphrasing the words from the law that apply here. Mm -hmm. Even if the high school said, well, for our purposes, you qualify for an IEP, the college may look at those same pieces of data and say, actually, we don't believe that that's case. So again, I don't think it's something most people have to worry about. I don't have any numbers on that, but it's not a common scenario. Another thing that can happen is that their documentation, for whatever reason, doesn't meet that college's guidelines. And there's so much misinformation out there about documentation. And I actually would like to put a pin in that because I don't want to lose track Mm -hmm. of this part of the conversation. But the next level, so let's say your documentation meets the school's requirements And then you've asked for something that perhaps they just don't think is supported by the scores in your report. So, I mean, this is being kind of silly because very rarely is a disability so isolated that it just affects one area of functioning. But let's say you had only, and I'm using air quotes here, only an auditory processing disorder that didn't affect you in any way, other way, excuse me. If you were asking for extended time on written tests, it would be kind of hard to understand why an auditory processing problem is relevant to a written test. So again, very rarely is that the case, but that could be a scenario. And then the other piece of it is if you've asked for an accommodation, 
<laughs> that isn't an accommodation. So, you know, or the kind of thing that schools have to provide. I have a slide in my presentations that I use from, you know, 20 years of reviewing requests. And I have had over many years, students ask for things like colored note cards or for a teacher to provide a study guide. And those are just not things that colleges have to do for students, even if they have a disability and it's been done for them before. There are four categories of things that colleges don't have to do. And the two that come up most frequently for students with learning disabilities and ADHD are that we don't have to provide anything that is a personal service or a personal device. So if you are somebody who uses text-to-speech software and your high school is providing the copy on their license, when you get to college, we don't have to buy you that software because that's the personal device. What we do have to do is make sure that the texts that you need to read are in a format that can be read by that program. And then as far as services go, every place I've worked, students have asked for some specialized form of tutoring. And that goes anything from if tutoring at the tutoring center on campus is three students to one tutor, we don't have to provide one-to-one because you're a student with disability. We don't have to provide tutoring by somebody with a special ed degree like I have, you know, or learning disabilities or a relevant background. If you can only go to the tutoring center once a week, we don't have to provide you more frequent tutoring. Mm. And so those are things to be aware of and prepared for. And then the other category of things we don't have to do is anything that constitutes a fundamental alteration to our programs. And again, I am paraphrasing the law and none of this is legal or medical advice. I'm not a lawyer, but I've been doing this a while. So in my Facebook group, we recently had a discussion about a student who had asked for a particular accommodation. That student is in a certification program to you know, get a certificate to work in a particular field. And the professor told her that she could not have a certain accommodation. And what had to happen at that point was a discussion with the department and relevant administrators about, is this really fundamentally altering, you know, what this class's objectives is? In a lot of places, at least for, you know, community college programs, particularly two-year programs, technical programs, preparing you for a job, the certification exam you know, that's given would be considered as far as what's appropriate in the college. The technical expectations for that field would also be part of that discussion. And so in the case of this particular student, it turned out that the accommodation she sought was actually reasonable. But in other cases, if you wanted to be an engineering major, you would probably have to take and pass math classes with a certain grade in order to be able to move forward. So colleges do not have to alter those requirements. When I worked at the State University here many years ago, we had students who were majoring in psychology who couldn't pass statistics. Well, that's a pretty typical requirement for a psych degree. Now, if they said that somebody trying to get a psych degree would have to take I don't know, world literature for some reason, that might be a discussion that the department would have about why do we require this and is it fundamental? So the piece about fundamental alteration goes to the way students get evaluated. It's not often that you can say, I don't like to take tests. I want to write a paper instead. 
I don't like writing papers. I want to be tested instead. I want to provide my answers orally. Those are what we in the field refer to as modifications. And there is data on that from a huge study that came out a bunch of years ago. And it was 3% or fewer for various modifications that they found in this study of 12,000 students, those who had gone to college, fewer than 3% received these particular modifications. Wow. Wow. I'm fascinated by all of this. This is super informative. Okay. And I don't want anybody to panic. There's lots we can do. Let's talk about that. Okay. Okay. So let's go back to the high school level. And you have a high school junior, senior who has some sort of learning difference or ADHD. Mm -hmm. What can they do? Because a lot of our audience is in that range. What can they do to sort of prepare properly? So there are a couple of different levels at which you can be doing this. One thing that comes up a lot that people are very surprised to hear, and that it's a very common accommodation, is extended time for papers. Mm -hmm. It's not something that is typically granted to students with learning disabilities and ADHD. And I'll just note here that I am using the word disabilities instead of difference because it is a disability law. And as we started by saying, you know, you need to be found eligible by having a disability at the college level. If it's not a disability, it doesn't get accommodated. Okay. So just to explain that. Mm -hmm. But as far as things like getting ready for the environment, students really need to learn time management skills. They need to learn how long it takes them to complete a paper or project without extensions. And that is a discrete skill that can be taught, you know, working with an assignment calculator online to figure out what are the steps of a process. Or an educational therapist. Or an educational therapist, even (laughs) better. Somebody has to teach this stuff directly, right? So getting students used to that, if they are using a human being to read to them, again, a personal reader for exams is generally okay, although more colleges, I would think, are using that text-to-speech software. So getting them familiar with the technology that's going to allow them to be independent is really important because we want them to have confidence when they come to us. We want them to know that they can do without those supports that we're talking about. Learning to write a paper without somebody trying to prompt you for every sentence, learning how to organize your thoughts, Some students, you know, benefit from a graphic organizer. Some students need to speak their ideas into the computer and then start organizing them. But somebody has to teach them how to do that because often the support available at a college is not going to be a person with the right skills to do that. Often, certainly with all the colleges in the country, I can't speak for everybody, One complaint I hear from people is, well, the writing center only wants to help me organize. They don't proofread. So learning how to use proofreading software, you know, the features of your word processing program, things like that. I mean, and as far as the selection of the college you attend to can be part of that preparation too. So I spoke about fundamental alterations and requirements. If you're looking at two different colleges and they both are sort of equal to you and how much you like them, but one of them has a bunch of course requirements that don't interest you or, you know, put you off and the other school doesn't, that's something that you can use to help you make a decision. Looking at the disability supports available. So everybody provides, you know, a certain number of minimum supports, but where I work, students can see me for free. They can only see me once every two weeks. 
So that probably won't be enough for some students' level of comfort. There are schools where our office would do workshops or have a study lounge that they could access for free. For those who still are relying on a lot of adult support and structure, maybe one of the programs with a fee-based service would be the right choice. So there's all different levels at which you can be preparing not only means getting the skills ready, but deciding where that student is and trying to project where they're going to be at the end of high school and see what would be the right environment. Which is a great start. So let's move forward a little bit and let's talk about how now let's say they've chosen their college and they get there Mm -hmm. and they think it'll be like an overnight process to get accommodations, Mm -hmm. which I've heard this before. I've heard examples of this. And like you said, they might not have the right documentation, etc. But let's just say in a perfect world scenario, they have everything that they need. Mm-hmm. How do they go about getting the accommodations and how long does that take? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. And I have not heard anybody assume that it was an overnight process. And that's a really good thing to be able to say. I can't think of a place where that's probably going to be true. 100%. And what's really important about that, I'm so glad you brought it up, Stephanie, is this is college. And even if your student is 17 at the time that they enroll at college, they're considered adults in the eyes of the law. And what I mean by that is they have responsibilities. So we don't go looking for these students. We don't go door to door in the dorms freshman year looking for students who want to register with us. Yeah. So... What it also means is they take responsibility for initiating the process of registering with us. And if they wait until the night before their first exam, we are not required to stay late and review their paperwork and make that decision and also then contact the professor, you know, at 11 o'clock at night to say, oh, tomorrow morning, Elizabeth's going to be taking her exam with accommodations. So if all the years I've never heard anybody say that. The reason I think is because when you have an IEP in high school and let's say you transfer schools, you know, the IEP stays with you Mm -hmm. since it doesn't in this case, as we know, I've had several people think that it'll be automatic and it'll be easy and it's not going to be. Wow. I mean, in that context, I understand where they're coming from. And it's just a little opportunity to say very explicitly here, no matter what you have heard, your 504 plans and your IEPs are not valid after high school. They can serve as a form of documentation when you register with us. And there are colleges that will take those standalone without any other paperwork. But even if you get granted the same exact accommodations at college that you had in high school, it is because you were found eligible for those and not because there's any mandate for colleges to provide the same thing. 504 plans are the subject of so much understandable misunderstanding. And Mm -hmm. so even though colleges are subject to 504, we're under subpart E, not subpart D. And while it doesn't explicitly say this in the law, what it means is the plan is not valid. It doesn't carry over to college. So with all of that said, process can take anywhere from two to three weeks. It typically involves for the initiation piece, the student fills out a form. Sometimes they are online in the system that you log into with your password Sometimes it is a physical form that you're, you know, an online form you can download to a PDF and edit, save, and and email it. 
a lot of colleges have intake appointments that you have to go to also. So it's not just a matter of providing your paperwork, but you have to meet with somebody. And that is not a meeting to try to weed you out or do anything that might make people feel anxious, but it's actually an opportunity for the disability services office to get to know you a little bit better and maybe ask you some questions that would prompt you to provide more information to help us make decisions about what accommodations you might need. So once that's done, again, colleges can theoretically take as long as they want. There's no wording anywhere in the law that says it can't take more than this amount of time. It has to be reasonable, whatever anybody decides is reasonable. Just from speaking to parents and other professionals, two to three weeks seems to be the rough ballpark for that. So, And that seems reasonable. And I want to just note that you said, even if your child is 17, in the eyes of the law, they're considered adults. So mom going and trying to make these appointments and mom trying to fill out all the paperwork, et cetera, Mm -hmm. is not going to help. We know from the research that students who are successful tend to be those who have supportive parents. And so there's definitely places for parents to be coaches. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't want anybody to think we're the big bad wolf and we're telling all the parents to just puff up and blow away. But I think that what's so important is that Parents keep thinking ahead and thinking ahead to where there's going to be a situation where they can't be there to help and make sure their student has whatever tools they need at their disposal to advocate for themselves, whether it is a script in their phone, in their notes that says, here's the reason I need this stuff. Here's what my history is that they can access. We love it when students utilize tools that help them that they have the information that they need, they understand what they need to do. So yeah, I mean, if the student gets to college and says, oh my gosh, I forgot the copy of my documentation, mom, could you email it to the disability services office? Sure, that's not a big deal. But absolutely, yeah. Where you said, Stephanie, could a parent fill out the form for a student? I mean, I guess in theory, anything is certainly possible. Could she make the appointment, you know, for the student? Well, sure. But if the student doesn't show up to the meeting. Right, exactly. Like the mom can't do the meeting. The kid has to do the meeting. Right. And so again, a lot of my colleagues are happy to have parents there, you know, sitting there as a support, providing, you know, filling in some information. Mm -hmm. Look, we know students have, you know, some social anxiety. They have language-based disorders that make it hard for them to communicate. But most schools will not have a meeting without the student present. Yeah. So informative. So Elizabeth, you've alluded to it a couple of times. Can you talk about what the laws are at the college level? Sure. So the Americans with Disabilities Act, and there's an Amendments Act, I I just stick with ADA for brevity, is in place across the lifespan. It is a civil rights law. It does address education, even at private schools. So as long as colleges are taking federal money, they are subject to federal laws and federal money includes things like Pell Grants and federal student loans. And I believe there are other sources of money that colleges also take, but again, I'm not a lawyer and it's a little bit in the weeds for all this anyway. So, and in addition to the ADA, you have Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which is quite a mouthful. So, um, as I had alluded to before, K-12 through is under subpart D, 
and colleges are under subpart E. And if you look at the two of them, that's where stuff like the wording about colleges don't have to provide personal devices and they don't have to provide personal services and they don't have to do anything that's a substantial, a fundamental alteration. So I think a lot more parents these days do know that IDEA, which is the one under which IEPs are written, doesn't apply to colleges. But for those who have not heard that, that is the case. So we're curious, we've talked a lot about how it's different, how the rules are different, how the laws are different. What are typical accommodations that colleges are used to offering? So there are a lot, and I'll give you the basics because, you know, there are things that can go beyond what I talk about. As I said, some schools will give you access to a specialist or increase the number of tutoring hours you're eligible for. So, you know, those are things that happen more on a case-by-case basis, depending on where you go to college. But probably, you know, the most common thing that anybody approves is extended time for in-class exams. So sometimes students get what we call 1.5, which means you have three hours to take a two-hour exam. Sometimes they get double time. It all depends, again, on how strong a case the people in the disability services office think the case is. Testing in a room with fewer distractions. So if you're in a big lecture hall for class, maybe you get taken down the hall to a smaller classroom with a proctor and a few of the students from your class that have the same exam. Permission to record your lectures. Right now in the time of COVID, a lot of lectures are recorded anyway, and you don't even need a special accommodation. That's just for anybody to watch on Zoom whenever they want. And so that can be really great for some students because every time the professor says something, they can pause, take their notes, keep going, pause, take their notes. But when we get back to in-person classes, that's one thing they can ask for or permission to use their laptop if for some reason the professor has a rule about that. Some students ask and get note takers. This is a situation where a lot of times students will ask for copies of the professor's notes. Mm-hmm. But professors don't always write notes for themselves for lectures. You know, again, a good way to shift between talking about K-12 and college. We are not in a position where we tell professors they have to create a set of notes so that a student can have them. Instead, we would likely, if we thought the student was eligible, give that student a copy of a classmate's notes. Again, we talked about making sure that texts that students need are in the proper format to be read by text-to-speech software. Those are sort of the most common ones. Is there anything that your students are receiving that you're thinking of? And I've worked with several kids that have come back from college because they couldn't make it and they didn't have any accommodations. Mm. They didn't try to get accommodations Mm -hmm. or they didn't take advantage of them, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of a thing. And I think a lot of that has to do with some of those kids went off to college a little too early. I was just going to say that tends to be more a result, not of the accommodations, but that they should have waited and given it another year to grow and mature. Because we often talk about students with learning disabilities or ADHD are two to three years behind developmentally of their chronological age. And so oftentimes taking that gap year or taking that year to work or take a couple of classes and kind of build up some independence and autonomy, especially when their high school experience was coddled is not the right word, but very layered in support. Very scaffolded. Is really sort of the wise move for a lot of learners, not all. Yeah. But also sometimes I've suggested to parents that the kid goes off and, you know, takes 
fewer classes. That's a great way to start. Sure. And, you know, even though some of the parents feel like, well, but then they're going to take longer and they're not going to graduate in four years and, you know, all of that stuff. But there's so many instances where I've seen where kids go off, take a full load, and they don't even make it to Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, it's such a multifaceted issue. I mean, you talked about students who either haven't registered with us at all or registered and not use their accommodations. There was a small study, and it's quite old at this point, but... This small study found that the more accommodations students registered for, actually the worse they were doing. And part of the theory, and we could never really know, was in part maybe they were asking for accommodations that weren't relevant to them, Mm. you know, weren't really appropriate. So I think, you know, Stephanie, you referred to, and I really like that term, sort of, you know, the scaffolding and layers of accommodation. If your child is in a specialized educational environment. And by that, I mean not a brick and mortar public school or in some cases, some brick and mortar private schools. It can be hard to peel away the onion a little bit and see what's going on as far as how much support adults are directly providing. And again, you know, we go back to, I had said that professors don't have to make up study guides for students. Somebody was asking in our group about guided notes Professors don't have to do that, and most of them do not. And so what we can be doing to prepare them is take a step back and say, okay, if you did not have this, what are the skills you need to develop so that you could do something without somebody providing it to you? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes a really good teacher will break up a long-term research paper into interim deadlines for the whole class. Yeah. And those are great, but making sure that the student has some practice doing it on their own and also meeting those deadlines. Mm -hmm. If the teachers are really flexible and I have over 20 years met very, very bright students who got by because even if their paper was a week late, it was brilliant. And the professors, excuse me, the teachers just love them. And, you know, maybe they gain them a little bit on the grade, but that's not a kind of thing that they're likely to get. And so for them to not have any experience doing this and figure out how long it truly takes them and how far back they need to start this process is really not giving them a a fair chance to get ready. I've seen so many kids that have come to me that then feel like such a failure. Yes. They want to give up. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go back. And that is so hard to bring back when they feel that. The embarrassment. Their friends are all there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of it. So that's one of those things that I definitely have had conversations with parents, like caution them and like taking away all of the scaffolding and then just expecting them to magically be able to do it on their own and be successful. Yeah. Are there cases where that can happen? Absolutely. But that's not going to be the majority I think that you've just made such an important point. And um, (laughs) when I wrote my book, I interviewed Ray Jacobson, who is a writer with Childline Institute here out here in New York. And she has ADHD and had quite a journey. And you can read some of her story on my blog. And I think it's really inspiring because she did not take the straight path to college and it has been very successful. But one of the things she said to me that's always stuck with me was, that she felt like, and she thinks when she talks to other parents, they think just literally getting accepted to college is sort of the cure. 
Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. if you've just gotten into college, that means you are ready for the next step and all of those troubles are behind you. And I don't mean to diminish that accomplishment. It is an accomplishment, but boy, talk about just jumping off a ledge without wings to just extend that terrible metaphor. We really do need to, in high school, draw back the supports to the extent that you can, depending on that educational environment, as we discussed. But you need to see what the kids can do on their own, and they need to see what they can do on their own, because you know there's no better way to figure it out than to experience it in a low-risk environment, Stephanie, as you said. At the same time, I know a lot of parents are really worried, because then that means maybe they won't get in, right? So they won't pull back. Mm-hmm. Because if the grades go down, maybe an offer might get rescinded mm-hmm. or, you know, it looks like they're lazy and that I hate that word, mm-hmm. but that could not be what's going on at all. Right. So, you know, this is one of the things where when we get students that are younger, we really, especially in middle school, yeah, we really are advocating that the parents let them fall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that it's the least risk right then. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've read Jessica Leahy's book on the gift of failure. And she actually addressed it in, it was one of her podcasts. She had, you know, addressed the issue of learning disabilities and failure. And certainly as a parent, I know it's hard when your student sometimes has gotten to at least the place of being identified as having learning disability or ADHD because of some of those failures. Those were the science road that there was a problem, that it is very hard. And sometimes parents feel guilty when students have been identified late that they miss the signs. Mm -hmm. They feel guilty when they've been identified early too. (laughs) So true. Of course, none of this is about anything except how the student came out of the package, so to speak. And so in my book, I recommend that the eighth grade meeting start to address the long-term plans for if the student's interested in college. And I I sometimes feel bad saying these things because there's so much pressure on kids right now. We're telling them in ninth grade, well, you have to get the right grade so you can go to X kind of school so that you can major in this and your whole life will be set. I mean, A, it's just, you know, patently ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You're talking to two former students who ascribe to that philosophy. Right. And I'm on my third or fourth career. Exactly. You know, when you're my age, you can look back at that and laugh, but it doesn't feel funny to those kids. No, it doesn't. It feels real to their parents. But Stephanie, to your point, and never abandoning a kid and say, well, we're going to pull all the supports and we're all done. But, you know, having an emphasis beginning with freshman year, having a look at the accommodations and supports the kid has and knowing what is available at college. And sort of merging those two into a plan that over four years includes, you know, goals, objectives, instruction that teach the kids what they need and then start to draw that stuff back. Because, again, everybody involved needs to have a very clear picture of where the student is. And not to say that that's destiny and who you are as a sophomore and junior in high school is who you're going to be as a sophomore and junior in college. Mm -hmm. But by senior year, I mean, to me, the ideal thing would be for students to be functioning really with just the kinds of accommodations they'll receive at college so that they are ready. And of course, keeping in mind that the demands are going to increase in college and you're still not going to have those supports. And the structure is going to decrease. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you are reliant on a homework grade because your test preparation skills aren't that good and you don't test well, 
And sometimes it's part of the disability, but also sometimes it's nobody's taught you directly how to study and review and self-test so that you are prepared for exams. Mm -hmm. That's going to be hard if there are no homework assignments and all you have are two exam grades. Mm -hmm. And if you are somebody who's going to blow the deadlines for two papers that comprise your entire grade, then you're going to be in trouble if that paper is three days late. All right. This is a powerful episode. And it's funny, before I logged in to do this podcast with you guys, I was talking to somebody else about a client and I was just, we're not in a place yet where the independence and the lack of structure are going to be the perfect combination. And so I'm sure there are smarties in our audience who are also really kind of rethinking things as we're talking this through. So our question is, Elizabeth, how can people connect with you? And then how do you work with people? Do you work with people? Because I think our audience is going to want to work with you, but talk (laughs) a little bit about that. So they can connect with me on social media. I am on Facebook under LD Advisory. I run a Facebook group for parents who are getting ready for this transition where, you know, I and some disability services director friends of mine answer questions about services and the kinds of things we've discussed. But parents also help each other with questions about, you know, my kid has this situation. What have you guys done about it? So it's kind of a combination of things that go on in there. They can read my book, From High School to College, Steps to Success for Students with Disabilities, which is my form of outreach to parents. It is an organized, pretty detailed discussion of everything you need to know about the laws and the accommodations. goes into much more depth, more about how to look at colleges. Very, very little, if you're looking for this, about application advice. One thing to know about my job in disability services is it has nothing to do with the admissions process at all. So I go to my friends that I know know things and I ask them questions and I provide that information. I also spoke to a few admissions deans at three different colleges about how they recommend students disclose their disability in the application if they want to, if they want to, if they think there's a reason. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more on Patreon. Okay, so there's that. And then I also have a laminated guide, which is for those of us old enough to remember it, the Reader's Digest version of my book. It's a much better vehicle to me if you wanted to provide a student with sort of the basics that they need to know before they go to college. Which I love. I have it right here. (laughs) I, I love it. It's fantastic. It's the Cliff Notes, guys. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And that makes me happy. I think parents and professionals probably should read the book because it gets into the nuances and a lot of the stuff we don't have time to get into here. But I think for students' purposes, just being able to have the basics and know their rights and what their responsibilities are is probably all that they need. Yeah. So Stephanie, you talked about students starting and not making it to Thanksgiving break. A reduced course load can be a good way to do it. The challenge becomes the amount of aid that they receive. For some students, that makes it challenging. Mm -hmm. Federal aid, the Pell Grants are tied to how many credits they're taking at a time. So if they're getting aid from the college, they can talk to the Disability Services Office and financial aid about whether they could stay at their current aid level from the college to be able to stay there if that's enough money for them. But, you know, another thing, too, is for students that you just don't think are independent enough, starting with the community college can be a way to do that, too. And so mom and dad stop providing the supports. 
they're still living at home in a lot of cases, or if they can get an apartment and handle that. But if not, it's a way of ramping up, if you will, getting used to what it's like at the college level. It's the training wheels. Yes. Yeah. And so all of this, I always like to circle back because I'm such a perfectionist to say that for parents looking at their students, not sure if they can go to a four-year school, if they are working, again, at senior year with the kinds of accommodations that we've discussed, they really don't need anything from adults to be able to just manage what they're doing. They're probably ready for four-year school. And so don't hold them back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. I think that there's so many concerns on both ends and we shouldn't hold back the kids who actually are ready. 100% agree. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If yes. you are interested, Smarties, in hearing the rest of our extended conversation with Elizabeth, we're going to talk about a couple of questions. We know you're not an expert on the application process, but we have a couple of questions. We're going to talk about specific schools potentially and what learners should consider when selecting a college on Patreon. So go join us on Patreon. The website to do that is www.patreon.com slash learn smarter podcast. Yes, Elizabeth. And I should have mentioned, so I was so busy talking about where to find me on social media. I have a whole website with free information for those who aren't ready for the book yet. And it's www.patreon.com. LD as in learning disabilities or differences, LD advisory, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-Y.com. And there you will find links to this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, as well as some video chats I did for understood.org and some other organizations, free information about documentation, how to find those requirements, all sorts of things. And the link from there to my blog which has bonus material that did not fit in my book and is available for free. Amazing resource. Love that. And of course, our audience knows us so well. Of course, all that has already been linked in the show notes for you guys. So go look there, but join us on Patreon to hear the extended conversation with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was fun. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week.